0: Chapter 60 of Louise de la Valliere. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Louise de la Valliere by Alexandre Dumont. Chapter 60 Hugh, misere. Poor Raoul had said Athos. Poor Raoul had said d'Artagnan and a point of fact to be pitied by both these men raoul must indeed have been most unhappy and therefore when he found himself alone face to face as it were with his own troubles leaving behind him the intrepid friend and the indulgent father when he recalled the avowal of the king's affection which had robbed him of louise de La Valliere, whom he loved so deeply he felt his heart almost breaking as indeed we all have at least once in our lives "'at the first illusion destroyed, "'the first affection betrayed. "'Oh,' he murmured, "'all is over then. "'Nothing is now left me in this world, "'nothing to look forward to, "'nothing to hope for. "'Gouchet has told me so, "'my father has told me so, Monsieur D'Artagnan has told me so. "'All life is but an idle dream. "'The future which I have been hopelessly pursuing "'for the last ten years is a dream, "'the union of hearts, "'a dream.' "'a life of love and happiness, a dream. "'Poor fool that I am,' he continued after a pause, "'to dream away my existence aloud, publicly, "'and in the face of others, friends and enemies, "'and for what purpose, too? "'In order that my friends may be saddened by my troubles, "'and my enemies may laugh at my sorrows. "'And so my unhappiness will soon become a notorious disgrace, "'a public scandal.' and who knows that to-morrow I may even be a public laughing-stock. And, despite the composure which he had promised his father and d'Artagnan to observe, Raoul could not resist muttering a few words of darkest menace. "'And yet,' he continued, "'if my name were de Vordes, and if I had the pliancy of character and strength of will of M. d'Artagnan, I should laugh, with my lips at least. I should convince other women that this perfidious girl, honoured by the affection which I have wasted on her,' leaves me only one regret, that of having been abused and deceived by her seemingly modest and irreproachable conduct. A few might perhaps fawn on the King by jesting at my expense. I should put myself on the track of some of these buffoons. I should chastise a few of them, perhaps. The men would fear me, and by the time I had laid three dying or dead at my feet I should be adored by the woman. Yes, yes, that indeed would be the proper course to adopt." and the La Ferre himself would not object to it. Has he not also been tried in his earlier days in the same manner as I have just been tried myself? Did he not replace affection by intoxication? He has often told me so. Why should I not replace love by pleasure? He must have suffered as much as I suffer, even more if that is possible. The history of one man is a history of all, a dragging trial more or less prolonged, more or less bitter, sorrowful, THE NOTE OF HUMAN NATURE IS NOTHING BUT ONE SUSTAINED CRY. BUT WHAT ARE THE SUFFERINGS OF OTHERS COMPARED TO THOSE WHICH I AM NOW SUFFERING? DOES THE OPEN WOUND IN ANOTHER'S BREAST SOFTEN THE ANGUISH OF THE GAPING ULCER IN OUR OWN? DOES THE BLOOD WHICH IS WELLING FROM ANOTHER MAN'S SIDE STAUNCH THAT WHICH IS POURING FROM OUR OWN? DOES THE GENERAL GRIEF OF OUR FELLOW CREATURES LESSEN OUR OWN PRIVATE AND PARTICULAR WOE? NO, NO. Each suffers on his own account. Each struggles with his own grief. Each sheds his own tears. "'And besides,' he went on, "'what has my life been up to the present moment? "'A cold, barren, sterile arena "'in which I have always fought for others, "'never for myself, "'sometimes for a king, sometimes for a woman. "'The king has betrayed. "'The woman disdained me. "'Miserable, unlucky wretch that I am. "'Woman!' "'Can I not make all expatiate the crime of one of their sex? "'What does that need, to have a heart no longer, "'or to forget that I ever had one? "'To be strong, even against weakness itself? "'To lean always, even when one feels that the support is giving way? "'What is needed to attain or succeed at all that? "'To be young, handsome, strong, valiant, rich? "'I am, or shall be, all that!' "'But honor. he still continued, and what is honour after all a theory which every man understands in his own way my father tells me honour is the consideration of what is due to others and particularly what is due to oneself but gouchet and manicamp and saint ognon particularly would say to me what's honour honour consists in studying and yielding to the passions and pleasures of one's king honour such as that indeed is easy and productive enough with honour like that i can keep my post at the court become a gentleman of the chamber and accept the command of a regiment which may at any time be presented to me with honour such as that i can be duke and peer the stain which that woman has stamped upon me the grief that has broken my heart the heart of the friend and playmate of her childhood in no way affects monsieur de an excellent officer, a courageous leader, who will cover himself with glory at the first encounter, and who will become a hundred times greater than mademoiselle de la Valliere is to-day, the mistress of the king, for the king will not marry her, and the more publicly he will proclaim her as his mistress, the more opaque will grow the shadow of shame he casts upon her face, in the guise of a crown, and in proportion as others despise, as I despise her, I shall be gleaning honours in the field. Alas! We had walked together side by side, she and I, during the earliest, the brightest, the most angelic portion of our existence, hand in hand along the charming path of life, covered with the blossoms of youth. And then, alas, we reach a crossroad where she separates herself from me, in which we have to follow a different route, whereby we become more and more widely separated from each other. And to attain the end of this path, oh, heaven, I am now alone." In utter despair and crushed to the very earth such were the sinister reflections in which raoul indulged when his foot mechanically paused at the door of his own dwelling he had reached it without remarking the streets through which he passed without knowing how he had come he pushed open the door continued to advance and ascended the staircase the staircase as in most of the houses of that period was very dark and the landings most obscure Raoul lived on the first floor. He paused in order to ring. olivain appeared, took his sword and cloak from his hands. Raoul himself opened the door which from the antechamber led into a small salon, richly furnished enough for the salon of a young man, and completely filled with flowers by olivain who, knowing his master's taste, had shown himself studiously attentive in gratifying them, without caring whether his master perceived his attention or not there was a portrait of la balliere in the salon which had been drawn by herself and given by her to raoul this portrait fastened above a large easy-chair covered with dark-coloured damask was the first point towards which raoul bent his steps the first object on which he fixed his eyes it was moreover raoul's usual habit to do so every time he entered this room this portrait before anything else attracted his attention this time as usual he walked straight up to the portrait placed his knees upon the armchair and paused to look at it sadly. His arms were crossed upon his breast, his head slightly thrown back, his eyes filled with tears, his mouth worked into a bitter smile. He looked at the portrait of the one he had so tenderly loved, and then all that he had said passed before his mind again, all that he had suffered seemed again to assail his heart, and after a long silence he murmured for the third time, "'Miserable, unhappy wretch that I am!' He had hardly pronounced these words when he heard the sound of a sigh and a groan behind him. He turned sharply round and perceived in the angle of the salon, standing up, a bending-veiled female figure, which he had been the means of concealing behind the door as he opened it, and which he had not perceived as he entered. He advanced towards the figure, whose presence in his room had not been announced to him, and as he bowed and inquired at the same moment who she was, she suddenly raised her head and removed the veil from her face revealing her pale and sorrow-stricken features. Raoul staggered back as if he had seen a ghost. "'Louise!' he cried in a tone of such absolute despair, one could hardly have thought the human voice was capable of so desponding a cry, without the snapping of the human heart. End of chapter 60 Recording by Todd